Chapter One of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Two founts that hold a drought of different effects. She was a virgin of glorious beauty, but regarded not her beauty. Negligence itself is art in those favored by nature, by love, and by the heavens. At Naples, in the latter half of the last century, a worthy artist named Gaetano Pisani lived and flourished. He was a musician of great genius, but not of popular reputation. There was in all his compositions something capricious and fantastic which did not please the taste of the dilettanti of Naples. He was fond of unfamiliar subjects, into which he introduced airs and symphonies that excited a kind of terror in those who listened. The names of his pieces will probably suggest their nature. I find, for instance, among his manuscript, these titles. The Feast of the Harpies, The Witches at Benevento, The Descent of Orpheus into Hades, The Evil Eye, The Eumenides, and many others that evince a powerful imagination, delighting in the fearful and supernatural, but often relieved by an airy and delicate fancy with passages of exquisite grace and beauty. It is true that in the selection of his subjects from ancient fable, Gaetano Pisani was much more faithful than his contemporaries to the remote region and early genius of Italian opera. That descent, however effeminate, of the ancient union between song and drama, when, after long obscurity and dethronement, it regained a punier scepter, though a gaudier purple, by the banks of the Utorian Arno or amidst the lagoons of venice had chosen all its primary inspirations from the unfamiliar and classical sources of heathen legend and pisani's descent of orpheus was but a bolder darker and more scientific repetition of the eurydice which jacobi perry set to music at the august nuptials of henry of navarra and mary of medicis still as i have said the style of the neapolitan musician was not on the whole pleasing to ears and euphuistic in the more dulce messages of the day, and faults and extravagances easily discernible, and often to appearance willful, served the critics for an excuse for their distaste. Fortunately, for the poor musician might have starved, he was not only a composer, but also an excellent practical performer, especially on the violin and by that instrument he earned a decent subsistence as one of the orchestra at that great theatre of San Carlo. Here formal and appointed tasks necessarily kept his eccentric fancies in tolerable check, though it is recorded that no less than five times he had been deposed from his desk for having shocked the cantoscenti, and thrown the whole band into confusion, by impromptu variations so frantic and a startling a nature that one might have well imagined that the harpies or witches who inspired his compositions had clawed hold of his instrument. The impossibility, however, to find any one of equal excellence as a performer had forced his reinstallment, and he had now, for the most part, reconciled himself to the narrow sphere of his appointed adagios or allegros. The audience, too, aware of his propensity, were quick to perceive the least deviation from the text and if he wandered for a moment, which might be also detected by the eye as well as the ear, in some strange contortion of visage, and some ominous flourish of his bow, a gentle and admonitory murmur recalled the musician from his elsium or his tartarus, to the sober regions of his desk. Then he would start as if from a dream, cast a hurried, frightened, apologetic glance around, and with a crestfallen, humbled air, draw his rebellious instrument back to the beaten track of the glib monotony. 
but at home he would make himself amends for this reluctant drudgery and there grasping the unhappy violin with ferocious fingers he would pour forth often till the morning rose wild measures that would startle the early fisherman on the shore below with superstitious awe and make him cross himself as if a mermaid or sprite had wailed no earthly music in his ear orpheus was the favorite hero of early italian opera or lyrical drama the Orfeo of Angelo Politiano was produced in 1475. The Orfeo of Monteverde was performed at Venice in 1667. The man's appearance was in keeping with characteristics of his art. The features were noble and striking, but worn and haggard, with black, careless locks tangled into a maze of curls, and a fixed, speculative, dreamy stare in his large and hollow eyes all his movements were peculiar sudden and abrupt as the impulse seized him and in gliding through the streets or along the beach he was heard laughing and talking to himself withal he was a harmless guileless gentle creature and would share his might with any idle lazzaroni whom he often paused to contemplate as they lay lazily basking in the sun yet he was thoroughly unsocial he formed no friends flattered no patrons resorted to none of the merry-makings so dear to the children of music in the south and his art seemed alone suited to each other both quaint primitive unworldly irregular you could not separate the man from his music it was himself without it he was nothing a mere machine with it he was king over worlds of his own poor man he had little enough of this at a manufacturing town in england where there is a gravestone on which the epitaph records one claudius phillips whose absolute contempt for riches and imitable performance on the violin made him the admiration of all that knew him logical conjunction of the opus eulogies in proportion o genius to thy contempt for riches will thy performance on thy violin gaetano pisani's talents as a composer had been chiefly exhibited in music appropriate to this his favorite instrument of all unquestionably the most various and royal in its resources and power over the passions as shakespeare among the poets is the cremona among instruments nevertheless he had composed other pieces of large ambition and wider accomplishment and chief of these his precious his unpurchased his unpublished his unpublishable and imperishable opera of the siren this great work had been the dream of his boyhood the mistress of his manhood in advancing age it stood beside him like his youth vainly he had struggled to place it before the world even bland unjealous pasiello maestro de capella shook his gentle head when the musician favored him with a specimen of one of his most thrilling scenes and yet paisello though that music differs from all durante taught thee to emulate there may be but patience gaetano pisani bide thy time and keep thy violin in tune strange as it may appear to the fairer reader this grotesque personage had yet formed those ties which ordinary mortals are apt to consider their especial monopoly he was married and had one child what is more strange yet his wife was a daughter of a quiet sober unfantastic england she was much younger than himself she was fair and gentle with a sweet english face she had married him from choice and will you believe it she yet loved him how she came to marry him or how this shy unsocial wayward creature ever ventured to propose i can only explain by asking you to look round and explain first to me 
how half the husbands and half the wives you meet ever found a mate yet on reflection this union is not so extraordinary after all the girl was a natural child of parents too noble ever to own and claim her she was brought into italy to learn the art by which she was to live for she had taste and voice she was a dependent and harshly treated and poor pisani was her master and his voice the only one she had heard from her cradle that seemed without one tone that could scorn or chide and so well is the rest natural natural or not they married this young wife loved her husband and young and gentle as she was she might almost be said to be the protector of the two from how many disgraces with the deposits of san carlo and the conservatorio had her unknown officious meditation saved him in how many ailments for his frame was weak and she nursed and tended him often in the dark nights she would wait at the theatre with her lantern to light him and her steady arm to lean on otherwise in his abstract reveries who knows but the musician would have walked after his siren into the sea and then she would so patiently perhaps for true in love there is not always the finest taste so delightedly listen to those storms of eccentric and fitful melody and steal him whispering praises all the way from the unwholesome night watch to rest and sleep i said his music was a part of the man and this gentle creature seemed a part of the music it was in fact when she sat by him that whatever was tender or fairy-like in his motley fantasia crept into the harmony as by stealth doubtless her presence acted on the music and shaped and softened it but he who never examined how or what his inspiration knew it not all that he knew was that he loved and blessed her he fancied he told her so twenty times a day but he never did for he was not of many words even to his wife his language was his music as hers her cares he was more communicative to his barbiton as the learned mercenus teaches us to call all the varieties of the great viol family certainly barbiton sounds better than fiddle and barbiton let it be he would talk to that by the hour together praise it scold it coax it nay for such as man even the most guileless he had been known to swear at it but for that excess he was always potentially remorseful and the barbiton had a tongue of its own could take his own part and when he also scolded had much the best of it he was a noble fellow this violin a triolese the handiwork of the illustrious steiner there was something mysterious in his great age how many hands now dust had awakened his strings ere he became the robin hood good fellow and familiar of gaetano pisani his very case was venerable beautifully painted it was said by caracci an english collector had offered more for the case than pisani had ever made by the violin but pisani who cared not if he had inhabited a cabin himself was proud of a place for the barbiton his barbiton it was his elder child he had another child and now he must turn to her how shall i describe thee viola certainly the music had something to answer for in the advent of that young stranger for both in her form and her character you might have traced a family likeness to that singular and spirit-like life of sound which night after night threw itself in airy and goblin sport over the starry seas beautiful she was but of a very uncommon beauty a combination a harmony of opposite attributes her hair of gold richer and purer than that which is seen even in the north but the eyes of all dark tender subduing light of more than italian almost oriental splendor 
the complexion exquisitely fair but never the same vivid in one moment pale the next and with the complexion the expression so varied nothing now so sad and nothing now so joyous i grieve to say that what we rightly entitle education was much neglected for their daughter by this singular pair to be sure neither of them had much knowledge to bestow and knowledge was not then in fashion as it is now but nature or accident favoured young viola she learned as of course her mother's language with her father's and she contrived soon to read and write and her mother who by the way was a roman catholic taught her bedtimes to pray but then to counteract all these acquisitions the strange habits of pisani and the incessant watch and care which he required from his wife often left the child alone with an old nurse who to be sure loved her dearly but who was in no way calculated to instruct her dame gionetta was every inch italian and neapolitan her youth had been all love her age was all superstition she was garrulous fond a gossip now she would prattle to the girl of cavaliers and princes at her feet and now she would freeze her blood with tales and legends perhaps as old as greek or Eturian fable of demon and vampire of the dances round the great white walnut tree at benevento and the haunting spell of the evil eye all this helped silently to weave charmed webs over viola's imagination that after thought and later years might laborly vainly to dispel and all this especially fitted to her hang with a fearful joy upon her father's music those visionary strains ever struggling to translate into wild and broken sounds of the language of unearthly beings breathed around her from birth thus you might have said that her whole mind was full of music associations memories sensations of pleasure or pain all were mixed up inexplicably with those sounds that now delighted and now terrified that greeted her when she opened her eyes to the sun and woke her trembling on her lonely couch in the darkness of the night the legends and tales of gionetta only served to make the child better understand the signification of those mysterious tones they furnished her with words to the music it was natural that the daughter of such a parent should soon evince some taste in his art but this developed itself chiefly in the ear and the voice she was yet a child when she sang divinely a great cardinal great alike in the state and the conservatorio heard of her gifts and sent for her from that moment her fate was decided she was to be the future glory of naples the prima donna of san carlo the cardinal insisted upon the accomplishment of his own predictions and provided her with the most renowned masters to inspire her with emulation his eminence took her one evening to his own box it would be something to see the performance something more to hear the applause lavished upon the glittering signoras she was hereafter to excel oh how gloriously that life of the stage that fairy world of music and song dawned upon her it was the only world that seemed to correspond with her strange childish thoughts it appeared to her as if cast hitherto on a foreign shore she was brought at last to see the forms and hear the language of her native land beautiful and true enthusiasm rich with the promise of genius boy or man thou wilt never be a poet if thou hast not felt the ideal the romance the calypso's isle that opened to thee for the first time the magic curtain was drawn aside and let in the world of poetry on the world of prose and now the initiation was begun she was to read to study 
to depict by a gesture, a look, the passion she was to delineate on the boards. Lessons dangerous, in truth, to some, but not to the pure enthusiasm that comes from art. For the mind that rightly conceives art is but a mirror, which gives back what is cast on its surface faithfully, only while unsullied. She seized on nature and truth intuitively. Her recitations became full of unconscious power. Her voice moved the heart to tears, or warmed it into generous rage. But this arose from that sympathy which genius ever has, even in its earliest innocence, with whatever feels or aspires or suffers. No premature woman comprehending the love or the jealousy that the words expressed. Her art was one of those strange secrets which the psychologists may unriddle to us if they please, and tell us why children of the simplest minds and the purest hearts are often so acute to distinguish, in the tales you tell them or the songs you sing, the difference between the true art and the false, passion and jargon, Homer and Racine, echoing back from hearts that have not yet felt what they repeat, the melodious accents of the natural pathos. Apart from her studies, Viola was a simple, affectionate, but somewhat wayward child, wayward not in temper, for that was sweet and docile, but in her moods, which, as I have before hinted, changed from sad to gay, and gay to sad, without an apparent cause. If cause there were, it must be traced to the early and mysterious influences I have referred to, when seeking to explain the effect produced on her imagination by those relentless streams of sound that constantly played around it for it is noticeable that to those who are much alive to the effects of music airs and tunes often come back in the most commonest pursuits of life to vex as it were and haunt them the music once admitted to the soul becomes also sort of spirit and never dies it wanders perturbedly through the halls and galleries of the memory and is often heard again distinct and living as when it first displaced the wavelets of the air now at times, then, these phantoms of sound floated back upon her fancy. If gay, to call a smile from every dimple, if mournful, to throw a shade upon her brow, to make her cease from her childish smirth, and sit apart and muse. Rightly, then, in a typical sense, might this fair creature, so airy in her shape, so harmonious in her beauty, so unfamiliar in her ways and thoughts, rightly might she be called a daughter, less of the musician than the music a being for whom you could imagine that some fate was reserved less of actual life than romance which to the eyes that can see and hearts that can feel glides ever along with the actual life stream by stream to the dark ocean and therefore it seemed not strange that viola herself even in childhood and yet more as she bloomed into the sweet seriousness of virgin youth should fancy her life ordained for a lot whether of bliss or woe and that should accord with the romance and reverie which made the atmosphere she breathed. Frequently she would climb through the thickets that clothed the neighboring grotto of Posilipo, and the mighty work of the old Chimerians, and seated by the haunted tomb of Virgil, indulge those visions, and the subtle vagueness of which no poetry can render palpable and defined. For the poet that surpasses all who ever sang is the heart of dreaming youth, frequently thereto beside the threshold over which the vine leaves clung and facing that dark blue waveless sea she would sit in the autumn noon or summer twilight and build her castles in the air who doth not do the same not in youth alone but with the dimmed hopes of age a man's prerogative to dream 
the common royalty of peasant and of king but those daydreams of hers were more habitual distinct and solemn than the greater part of us indulge they seemed like the orama of the greeks prophets while phantasma now at last the education is accomplished viola is nearly sixteen the cardinal declares that the time has come when the new name must be inscribed in the libro de oro the golden book set apart to the children of art and song yes but in what character to whose genius is she to give embodiment and form ah there is the secret rumours go abroad that the inexhaustible paisiello charmed with her performance of this nel corpio non mi sento and his io son lindoro will produce some new masterpiece to introduce the debutante others insist upon it that her forte is the comic and that Chimorosa is hard at work at another matrimonio segreto but in the meanwhile there is a check in the diplomacy somewhere the cardinal is observed to be out of humour he has said publicly the words are portentous the silly girl is as mad as her father what she asks is preposterous conference follows conference the cardinal talks to the poor child very solemnly in his closet all in vain naples is distracted with curiosity and conjecture the lecture ends in a quarrel and viola comes home sullen and pouting she will not act she has renounced the engagement pisani too inexperienced to be aware of all the dangers of the stage had been pleased at the notion that one at least of his name would add celebrity to his art the girl's perverseness displeased him however he said nothing he never scolded in words but he took up the faithful barbiton o faithful barbiton how horribly thou didst scold it screeched it gabbled it moaned it growled and viola's eyes filled with tears for she understood that language she stole to her mother and whispered in her ear and when pisani returned from his employment lo both mother and daughter were weeping he looked at them with a wandering stare and then as if he felt he had been harsh he flew again to his familiar and now you thought you heard the lullaby which a fairy might sing some fretful changeling it had adopted and sought to smooth liquid low silvery streamed the tones beneath the enchanted bow the most stubborn grief would have paused to hear and withal at times came out a wild merry ringing note like a laugh but not mortal laughter it was one of his most successful airs from his beloved opera the siren in fact of charming the waves and the winds to sleep heaven knows what next would have come but his arm was arrested viola had thrown herself on his breast and kissed him with happy eyes that smiled through her sunny hair at that very moment the door opened a message from the cardinal viola must go to his eminence at once her mother went with her all was reconciled and settled viola had her way and selected her own opera o ye dull nations of the north with your broils and debates your bustling lives of the Ninx and the agora you cannot guess what a stir throughout musical naples was occasioned by the rumour of a new opera and a new singer but whose opera no cabinet intrigue was ever so secret pisani came back one night from the theatre evidently disturbed and irate woe to thine ears hast thou heard the barbiton that night they had suspended him from his office they feared that the new opera and the first debut of his daughter as prima donna would be too much for his nerves and his variations his diablerie of sirens and harpies on such a night 
made a hazard not to be contemplated without awe to be set aside and on the very night that his child whose melody was an emanation of his own was to form set aside for some new rival it was too much for a musician's flesh and blood for the first time he spoke in words upon the subject and gravely asked for that question the barbiton elegant as it was could not express distinctly what was to be the opera or what the part and viola was gravely answered that she was pledged to the cardinal not to reveal Pisani said nothing, but disappeared with the violin, and presently they heard the familiar from the housetop, whither, when thoroughly out of humour, the musician sometimes fled, whining and singing as if its heart were broken. The affections of Pisani were little visible on the surface. He was not one of those fond, caressing fathers whose children are ever playing round their knees. His mind and soul were so thoroughly in his art that domestic life glided by him seemingly as if that were a dream and the heart of the substantial form and body of existence persons much cultivating an abstract study are often thus mathematicians proverbially so when his servant ran into the celebrated french philosopher shrieking the house is on fire sir go and tell my wife then fool said the wise man settling back to his problems do i ever meddle with domestic affairs but what are the mathematics to music that not only composes operas but plays on the barbiton do you know what the illustrious giardini said when the tyro asked him how long it would take to learn to play the violin here in despair ye who would bend the bow to which that of ulysses was a plaything twelve hours a day for twenty years together can a man then who plays the barbiton be always playing also with his little ones no Pisani, often with the keen susceptibility of childhood, poor Viola, stolen from the room to weep at the thought that thou didst not love her, and yet, underneath this outward abstraction of the artist, the natural fondness flowed all the same, and as she grew up, the dreamer had understood the dreamer, and now, shut out from all fame himself, to be forbidden to hail even his daughter's fame, and that daughter herself to be in the conspiracy against him. Sharper than the serpent's tooth was the ingratitude, and sharper than the serpent's tooth was the wail of the pitying barbiton. The eventful hour is come. Viola has gone to the theatre, and her mother with her. The indignant musician remains at home. Gionetta bursts into the room. My lord cardinal's carriage is at the door. The padrone is sent for. He must lay aside his violin. He must put on his brocade coat and his lace ruffles. Here they are, quick, quick, and quick rolls the gilded coach, and majestic sits the driver, and stately prance the steeds. Poor Pisani is lost in a mist of uncomfortable amaze. He arrives at the theatre, he descends at the great door. He turns round and round, and looks about him and about. He misses something. Where's the violin? Alas, his soul, his voice, his self of self is left behind. It is but an automaton and the lackeys conduct up the stairs through the tier into the cardinal's box but then what bursts upon him does he dream the first act is over they did not send for him till success seemed no longer doubtful the first act has decided all he feels that by the electric sympathy which ever the one heart has at once with a vast audience he feels it by the breathless stillness of that multitude he feels it even by the lifted finger of the cardinal he sees his viola on the stage, radiant in her robes and gems, 
he hears her voice thrilling through the single heart of the thousands but the scene the part the music it is his other child his immortal child the spirit infant of his soul his darling of many years of patient obscurity and pining genius his masterpiece his opera of the siren this then was the mystery that had so galled him this was the cause of the quarrel with the cardinal this the secret could not be proclaimed till the success was won and the daughter had united her father's triumph with her own and there she stands all souls bow before her fairer than the very siren he called from the depths of melody o oh, long and sweet recompense of toil where is on earth the rapture like that which is known to genius when at last it bursts from its hidden cavern into light and fame he did not speak he did not move he stood transfixed breathless tears rolling down his cheeks only from time to time his hand still wandered about mechanically they sought for the faithful instrument why was it not there to share his triumph at last the curtain fell and a yapason of applause uprose the audience as one man as with one voice that dear name was shouted she came on trembling pale and in the whole crowd saw but her father's face the audience followed those moistened eyes they recognized with a thrill the daughter's impulse and her meaning the good old cardinal drew him gently forward wild musician thy daughter has given thee back more than the life thou gavest my poor violin said he wiping his eyes they will never hiss thee again now between such contrarious mixture of ice and fire laughter and tears hope and fear the deceiving dame notwithstanding the triumph of both the singer and the opera there had been one moment in the first act and consequently before the arrival of pisani when the scale seemed more than doubtful it was a chorus replete with all the peculiarities of the composer and when the maelstrom of capricci whirled and foamed and tore ear and sense through every variety of sound and the audience simultaneously recognized the hand of pisani a title had been given to the opera which had hitherto prevented all suspicion of its parentage and the overture and opening in which the music had been regular and sweet had led the audience to fancy they had detected the genius of their favorite pasiello long accustomed to ridicule and almost to despise the pretensions of pisani as a composer they now felt as if they had been unduly cheated into the applause with which they had hailed the overture and the commencing scenes an ominous buzz circulated round the house the singers the orchestra electrically sensitive to the impression of the audience grew themselves agitated and dismayed and failed in the energy and the precision which could alone carry off the grotesqueness of the music there are always in every theatre many rivals to a new author and a new performer a party impotent while all goes well but a dangerous ambush the instant some accident throws into confusion the march of success a hiss arose it was partial it is true but the significant silence of all applause seemed to forebode the coming moment when the displeasure would grow contagious it was the breath that stirred the impending avalanche at that critical moment viola the siren queen emerged for the first time from her ocean cave as she came forward to the lamps the novelty of her situation the chilling apathy of the audience which even the slightest of so singular a beauty did not at first arouse the whispers of the malignant singers on the stage 
the glare of the lights and more far more than the rest that recent hiss which had reached her in her concealment all froze up her faculties and suspended her voice and instead of the grand invocation into which she ought rapidly to have burst the regal siren retransformed into the trembling girl stood pale and mute before the stern cold array of those countless eyes and at that instant when consciousness itself seemed about to fail her as she turned a timid beseeching glance around the still multitude she perceived in a box near the stage a countenance which at once and like magic produced on her mind an effect never to be analyzed nor forgotten it was one that awakened an indistinct haunting reminiscence as if she had seen it in those day-dreams she had been so wont from infancy to indulge she could not withdraw her gaze from that face and as she gazed the awe and coldness that had before seized her vanished like a mist from before the sun in the dark splendor of the eyes that met her own there was indeed so much of a gentle encouragement of benign and compassionate admiration so much that warmed and animated and nerved that any one actor or orator who has ever observed the effect that a single earnest and kindly look in the crowd that is to be addressed and one will produce upon the mind and may readily account for the sudden and inspiriting influence which the eye and the smile of the stranger exercised on the debutante and while yet she gazed and the glow returned to her heart the stranger half rose as if to recall the audience to a sense of the courtesy due to one so fair and young and the instant his voice gave the signal the audience followed it by a burst of generous applause for this stranger himself was a marked personage and his recent arrival at naples had divided with the new opera the gossip of the city and then as the applause ceased clear full and freed from every fetter like a spirit from the clay the siren's voice poured forth its entrancing music and from that time viola forgot the crowd the hazard the whole world except the fairy one over with she presided it seemed that the stranger's presence only served still more to heighten that delusion in which the artist sees no creation without the circle of his art yet she felt as if that serene brow and those brilliant eyes inspired her with powers never known before and as if searching for a language to express the strange sensations occasioned by his presence that presence itself whispered to her the melody and the song when it was all over and she saw her father and felt his joy did this wild spell vanish before the sweeter one of the household and filial love and yet again as she turned from the stage she looked back involuntarily and the stranger's calm and half melancholy smile sank into her heart to live there to be recalled with confused memories half of pleasure and half of pain pass over the congratulations of the good cardinal virtuoso astonished at finding himself and all naples had been hitherto in the wrong on a subject of taste still more astonished at finding himself and all naples combining to confess it pass over the whispered ecstasies of admiration which buzzed in the singer's ear as once more in her modest veil and quiet dress she escaped from the crowd of gallants that choked up every avenue behind the scenes pass over the sweet embrace of father and child returning through the starlit streets and along the deserted chiaja in the cardinal's carriage never pause now to note the tears and ejaculations of the good simple-hearted mother see them returned see the well-known room venomous ad letterm nostrum see old gianetta bustling at supper 
Here Pisani, as he rouses the barbiton from his case, communicating all that has happened to the intelligent familiar, hark to the mother's merry low English laugh. Why, Viola, strange child, sittest thou apart, thy face leaning on thy fair hands, thine eyes fixed on space? Up, rouse thee, every dimple on the cheek of home must smile to-night. And a happy reunion it was, round that humble table, a feast Lucullus might have envied in his hall of Apollo. In the dried grapes, and the dainty sardines, and the luxurious polenta, and the old lacrima, a present from the good cardinal. The barbiton, placed on a chair, a tall high-backed chair beside the musician, seemed to take part in the festive meal. Its honest, varnished face glowed in the light of the lamp. There was an impish, sly demureness in its very silence, as its master, between every mouthful, turned to talk to it of something he had forgotten to relate before. The good wife looked on affectionately, and could not eat for joy. But she suddenly rose, and placed on the artist's temples a laurel wreath, which she had woven beforehand in fond anticipation. And Viola, on the other side her brother, the barbiton, rearranged the chaplet, and smoothing back her father's hair, whispered, Caro padre, you will not let him scold me again. Then poor Pisani, rather distracted between the two, and excited by both the lacrima and his triumph, turned to the younger child with so naive and grotesque a pride. I don't know which to thank the most. You give me so much joy, child. I am so proud of thee and myself. But he and I, poor fellow, have been so often unhappy together. Viola's sleep was broken. That was natural the intoxication of vanity and triumph, the happiness in the happiness that she had caused. All this was better than sleep. But still from all this, again and again her thoughts flew to those haunting eyes, to that smile with which forever the memory of the triumph, of the happiness, was to be united. Her feelings, like her own character, were strange and peculiar. They were not those of a girl whose heart, for the first time reached through the eye, sighs its natural and native language of first love. It was not so much admiration, though the face that reflected itself on every wave of her restless fantasies was of the rarest order of majesty and beauty, nor a pleased enamoured recollection that the sight of this stranger had bequeathed. It was a human sentiment of gratitude and delight, mixed with something more mysterious, of fear and awe. Certainly she had seen before those features, but when and how? Only when her thoughts had sought to shape out her future, and when in spite of all the attempts to vision forth a fate of flowers and sunshine, a dark and chill foreboding made her recoil back into her deepest self. It was a something found that had long been sought for by a thousand restless yearnings and vague desires, less of the heart than mind. Not as when youth discovers the one to be beloved, but rather as when the student, long wandering after the clue to some truth in science, sees it glimmer dimly before him, to beckon, to recede, to allure, and to wane again. She fell at last into unquiet slumber, vexed by deformed, fleeting, shapeless phantoms, and waking as the sun, through a veil of hazy cloud, glinted with a sickly ray across the casement she heard her father settled back betimes to this one pursuit and calling forth from his familiar a low mournful strain like a dirge over the dead and why she asked when she had descended into the room below why my father was your inspiration so sad after the joy of last night 
I know not, child. I meant to be merry, and to compose an air in honour of thee. But he is an obstinate fellow, this, and he would have it so. End of chapter 1 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com